Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing on in our series, Habits of the Heart, where over the course of Lent, we have been exploring why we do the things that we do. What is the internal driver that leads us to act in the world? We're continuing on in that series, but today I want to shift the sermon to talk about what is happening in our common life together with our response to the COVID-19 virus. And before we talk about that, it is appropriate, it is right and good that we begin by hearing a word from Jesus. And so I invite you now, uh, follow along with me as I read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Jesus speaking to the crowd gathered to hear the Sermon on the Mount, but also Jesus speaking to us in this time right now. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything you do, Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The American prophet Jim Morrison, I think, said it best. Strange days have found us. This is an unprecedented time. I can't think of another moment where I have preached to a room that had no one in it. In my early churches, there might have been very few people in it, but today is different. This moment we find ourselves in is unlike anything many of us have experienced thus far in our lives, and it is impacting us culturally. I mean, one of my favorite things to do during this next month is to watch sports. You know, I'm a sports fanatic, as many of you are as well. And during this month, nothing makes me happier than to go to Carolina Alehouse or Arsenal and sit down and watch March Madness. It doesn't matter if it's a one seed playing a 16 seed or a seven playing an eight. I will sit and watch college basketball. And now... We don't get to do that because the tournament has been canceled. One of my favorite things to do is to go to SunTrust Park and to watch the Braves. But for the moment, I don't get to do that because baseball has been postponed. And bringing it right here into our very own community, the thing that we all look forward to, one of the defining moments in the life of Augusta, Georgia, is the Masters And as of now, the Masters is postponed. And so the golf that we all look forward to watching and the roars from Amen Corner, it's not going to happen right now. I think Jim Morrison was correct. We are in strange days. 
What makes this time even stranger than any other is that normally in moments of cultural anxiety, we're brought together because we find strength in community. And yet the very nature of the COVID-19 virus is that we are asked to avoid mass gatherings of more than 250 people. If you're above 60 years old or if you have a medical condition, you're asked to stay in your homes. And so rather than gathering together and finding strength, we're isolated from each other. And some of us are wondering how in the world do we proceed in moments like these? And that's a good question. Uh, many of us have been watching leaders around the world give their response to this virus, and it's been fascinating to watch because some of them, their response has been that the COVID-19 virus is nothing more than the flu. It's no more deadly, and give it a few weeks, maybe a month, and it will magically go away. And I hope that that's correct. But other leaders around the world, what they're saying is, this is it. This is the worst case scenario and religious folks, some of them are even saying that Jesus is probably going to come back very soon. So you have this huge variance of response. And the question for us as followers of Jesus really needs to be, how do we think about this moment as disciples of Christ? Do we hit the panic button? Or do we rest knowing that God is ultimately in charge of all things up to and including this moment? This is where what Jesus says in John chapter 14 means so much to me, and I hope it means much to you as well. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to Thomas and to some of the other disciples. And there's this moment where Thomas says, I don't know where you're going, Jesus. And Jesus says, you do know where I'm going. I'm going to the Father. And then he says this, that I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, when I hear Jesus say that he is the way, the truth, and the life, I can begin to know a few things about life. That if Jesus is the truth, wherever we find truth in the world, wherever we find something that is good and true and right and beautiful, we can claim that because it is from Jesus and so it belongs to us. And one of the things that I believe is true in this moment is that the medical community is telling us the truth. This virus is, in fact, dangerous. The Surgeon General says it's 10 times more dangerous than the flu. And so we need to pay attention. We need to listen to those medical professionals who are seeking to keep us safe and give us wonderful advice. They're telling us the truth. And if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then that truth is our truth as well. Uh, a few days ago, I was walking the girls to school, and one of the senior adults in my neighborhood was walking, to, uh, walking with me. And there came a moment where we were talking about the response of our communities and the response of church. And I was telling her that we were most likely going to cancel our services in person and worship online this week. And it was really fascinating because my neighbor, who I love, who is kind and good, she, she looks at me and she said, Will, I don't trust what the medical community is saying. I trust God. And I'm going to live my life like nothing is happening because God is in control. I trust God. 
I had to stop for a moment and gently remind her, this is not an either-or scenario. Frankly, to say something like that is pretty dangerous. It isn't boiled down to trust the scientific community or trust God. You can actually do both. You can trust God, and I want you to trust God. Because here's what we believe, as I said yesterday in the video that I posted online, that we believe at the core of our faith that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God and that He is seated at the right hand of God the Father and He is ruling over all of creation up to and including this very moment we find ourselves in. And so in the depths of our bones, we trust and we know, we believe that everything shall be well. Friends, unlike the world around us that seems to be in chaos, we trust God. But we don't just stop there. We also trust the medical community and those professionals who are seeking to give us good advice. Because, as N.T. Wright, one of my favorite scholars, says, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks, but instead he sends in the peacemakers and the pure in heart. When God wants to give us knowledge, he sends in physicians and people whom he has given wisdom to. They're speaking a word from the Lord, and I think it's appropriate that we listen to them. And so that's the first thing that I want you to know this morning. The other thing I want to talk about is how do we as individuals ethically respond in moments like these? What, what is our posture to the world that is around us as we seek to love God and love neighbor? And if you've been watching culture, what you have seen with individuals many times isn't really positive. It isn't really beautiful at all. My mom was in South Florida. And while she's down in South Florida visiting my sister and her husband and their daughter, she went to a Publix. And while she's at Publix, just normal grocery shopping, she told me that she saw one of the strangest sights imaginable. That as she's entering into Publix with her cart, someone who is walking out stops by the sanitary station where you can grab a wipe to clean your cart. And my mother watched as another lady opened the basket, picked up all the wipes, and quickly walked out the door. Because that's the kind of moment that some people uh, find themselves in. They're filled with anxiety. They're filled uh, with worry. And for many people, the way that they're ethically dealing with this situation is, is to dial up what I think is the Darwinian impulse within each of us, to imagine that only the strongest survive. That's why you will go to Target, which I did yesterday, and there is no toilet paper. How does that make sense? You will go to Bed Bath & Beyond and you will find that all of the hand sanitizer has been taken and it's all gone. You'll go to Walmart and see that there are no bottled water left on the shelf. Because in moments of anxiety, folks that don't have a faith in Jesus, unfortunately, they dial up self-preservation. And if that's how the culture is going to respond... Well, we as followers of Jesus Christ need to ask a deeper question. 
how are we going to respond? How will you, as you go throughout the course of your days and weeks, respond in moments like this? And hopefully in a few weeks, this is all blown over. But for the least, at least the next two weeks, we get to ask this question, how will we respond? How will we deal with our fellow human being as we worship God and live out our days? And the good news for us is that we're not left to our own devices, but Jesus actually offers us uh, some guidance. He tells us how we're called to act and live and move and have our being in times like these. You heard a little bit earlier, I read from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you've heard me say this before. If you are not a Christian and you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus well, you can do nothing better than to go and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus provides what is the greatest teaching, not just the greatest sermon, but the greatest teaching that the world has ever known. And in Matthew chapter 7, when he's talking about prayer, Jesus reaches this moment in uh, chapter 7, verse 12, where he says to us, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. If you want to know what it looks like to live well in the world, if you want to know what it looks like to worship God through your acts of loving kindness in the world, Jesus lays it out for us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Known to us as the golden rule, it has been the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. But you know, people have in fact been asking that question for quite a long time. How, how do I live well? Not only how do I live well before God, but how do I live well with other people? Uh, they were asking this question around the time of Jesus, actually. You see, a century before Jesus, there were two primary rabbis in Israel. One, his name was Shammai. And the rabbi Shammai held a generally strict interpretation of Torah. He followed all 613 laws down to the T. And Shammai had a school that a number of rabbinical students would have gone to, and his influence was huge. Then there was also another rabbi whose name was Hillel. And Hillel was a little more lenient in his interpretation of Torah. He also had a school and had massive amounts of influence in the culture. There was a moment when there was a Gentile who came and he wanted to know, what do I need to do in order to become a Jew? What do I need to do in order to be in right relationship with God? And a story in the Talmud, this Jewish history, Jewish interpretation, a story in the Talmud says that this Gentile came first to Shammai. And the Gentile says, I'll tell you what, Shammai, if you can tell me how to follow Torah while I stand on one foot, I will convert and become a Jew. And Shammai was absolutely enraged. The, the Talmud says that Shammai chased this Gentile out of his home and ran him off because there's no way you could sum up the, the law of God, how to live in right relationship with God and with other people while standing on one foot. That's absurd. 
But this Gentile was not uh, going to give up his quest so easily. So the Talmud says that he left Shammai and this Gentile then went to Hillel. And he asks the same question. He says, Hillel, Rabbi, uh, if you can tell me how to follow Torah while standing on one foot, then I will convert and become a good Jew in right relationship with God. And what Hillel does is absolutely fascinating. Rather than run him off and tell him there's no way he can do it, Hillel simply says, easy. What is hateful to you don't do that to other people. That sums up the Torah, and the rest is just commentary. So go and study. <laughs> what is hateful to you, don't do to other people. Isn't that fascinating? The, the rabbi Shammai, how do you live before God? How do you live in right relationship with people? Well, you follow all the law and you do everything perfectly. And contrast that with Hillel, who with a generosity of spirit says, you want to live well? <laughs> then it's easy. What is hateful to you, don't do that to other people. People have been asking for a very long time, how do we live ethically, responsibly, and good in the world in which we find ourselves? And what I love about this response of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 is that undoubtedly he would have known the words of Shammai and Hillel. But he doesn't just say what they did verbatim. Instead, Jesus takes the next step forward. And Jesus says, not only what is hateful to you, don't do that. Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We don't just avoid negative situations, but as followers of Jesus Christ, what he says to us is we do good. You want to see good done for you in the world, and so it is incumbent upon us to go and do that same thing out in the world. What is good for you? <laughs> go and do that for other people. The golden rule. How do we live well before God? <laughs> we treat others in the way that we want to be treated. And this message, this concept has never been more pressing than it is right now. Because followers of Jesus Christ need to be prepared to do good in the world. In a, in a world, again, where the Darwinian impulse is self-preservation, we understand that the cross says, give it all away. <laughs> Go out and serve your community. Go out and love on the least of these who cannot care for themselves in the same way that many of you and I can. What is good to you? Do that to other people. That is the law and the prophets. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants for us. And so what does that mean today? What does that mean tomorrow? What does that mean as we see how this virus plays out? Well, a few things I want to suggest to you. Be generous. 
Be generous. If you're one of those people who has gone and bought all the toilet paper, call your elderly neighbor. Check with someone a few blocks down the road and make sure they have everything that they need. If you're one of those people, and undoubtedly some of you are, who have purchased all the wipes, go ahead and clean your house. I want you to sanitize everything. I want you to make sure that your house is clean. But then with the remaining 57 boxes of Clorox wipes, I want you to go down the street and give those out. I want you to go into the low-income housing areas and, and pass out your surplus because you don't need it. If you have hoarded all of the water in our city, take what you need and then give some of it away. One of the calls that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Be generous. And the other thing I would say to you is be wise. Be wise in moments like these. And so if you find yourself concerned about going out into crowds of people, don't do it. Because you don't have to. You can stay at home and connect with people. You can call people that you love. Be wise. Be wise not only if you find yourself afraid, but be wise even if you are well. You know people who need to be at home. And for example, I call my mother once a week. And I talk to my mom on the phone for a significant period of time. Now, she's healthy and well. Mom, I know you're probably watching this morning. You are in fantastic shape. But you're above 60 years old. And so what I want to do is call you every single day. So those in your life that are in a position where they need to exercise discretion, be wise and call them and check in on them and love on them. And for us as a church... The other thing I want to say, and hear me loud and clear right now, we are going to do good in the world because we want good done to us and because Jesus calls us to go and do good. And so when folks who are sick reach out to us, we will be there for them. <laughs> when folks who need groceries call us, we will take them food. When folks are in danger of having their lights cut off, because they haven't been to work for a couple of weeks, you know what we will do? We will keep their lights on. We are the people of God, and it is in moments like these where we step up and we shine like stars in the sky. Jesus really makes it simple for us. What is the habit of your heart on this morning? Do you engage the Darwinian impulse to hoard and to keep everything to yourself? Or, or, are you willing to hear the words of Jesus and to live appropriately? You want good done for you? So go and do good in the world. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in moments like these, my friends, that is really good 
news. Let's take a moment now and let's pray together. Oh God, we are grateful. We are grateful that we can trust in you, that we know you are ruling over all things, that ultimately, as the hymn teaches us, you've got the whole world in your hands. God, we pray that all would be well in the world. And not only do we trust in you, oh God, but this morning we trust in each other because we hear the words of Jesus loud and clear to unto others as you would have them do unto you. So equip us, enable us, and challenge us, O oh God, to go out and be a compelling force for good in the world, not living out of fear, but living out of love, love for you and love for our fellow man. Be with us now as we continue to worship you, O oh God. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.